We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 399 of the Al Galdi Podcast. Yes, one episode away from 400. It is Wednesday, September 14th, 2022, the day after a prominent owner in sports was suspended for one year and fined $10 million for a workplace misconduct scandal. And no, that owner was not Commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder. Uh, That owner was Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mercury owner, Robert Sarver, who, as far as we know, has not been hiding on a super yacht. Did you notice during the Fox telecast of the Commander's 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon that when we saw the Commander's other co-owner and co-CEO, Tanya Snyder, wife of Donny Boy, uh, we did not see her sitting next to Dan. Uh, Either Dan was somewhere else when Tanya was on camera, or Dan was not at the game. And if the latter was the case, if Dan was not at the game, where is Dan right now? Is Dan still on his super yacht overseas, avoiding being subpoenaed by Congress? Is that still going on? I don't know. Uh, This whole Dan thing feels like it's lost a lot of steam. We're not hearing a lot about what's going on with that. And you know what? The commanders are 1-0. So how about we just enjoy that and focus on the football? Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. The commanders' next game in the NFL's 2022 regular season is at the 0-1 Detroit Lions this Sunday afternoon at 1. How about this for some disrespect? of our commanders. They are underdogs. The commanders, two and a half point dogs for Caesars Sportsbook. And this is notable for this reason. The Lions have been underdogs in each of their last 24 regular season games. Longest such streak in the NFL in the Super Bowl era. (laughs) And that streak may well be ending and at the expense of the commanders. The disrespect of our team knows no bounds. Well, coming up on the show will be plenty of respect for the commanders, especially with what they did in that win over the Jags. Because next segment, I have a special guest for you, commanders analyst Mark Bullock. Uh, He will provide an X's and O's film breakdown of the Commander's win over the Jags and get into more regarding the Commanders. Uh, We will go in-depth on quarterback Carson Wentz, including something that Carson did in the game that Mark believes bodes very well for Carson with the Commanders moving forward. Uh, And we will hit on a number of other players slash units on the Commanders. Uh, Receiver Curtis Samuel, running back Antonio Gibson, receiver Jahan Dodson, the offensive line, the defense as a whole, uh, safety Derek Forrest. Mark Bullock knows his stuff. He puts in the time. High-level, rational, no-agenda analysis of the commanders with Mark Bullock is forthcoming. Also on the show, game one of round two of the 2022 Battle 
of the Beltways. And it is Battle of the Beltways. I can't stand when people say Battle of the Beltway. No, there are two Beltways. There's a Beltway for the Washington, D.C. area, and there's a Beltway for Baltimore. But I will discuss the Orioles' 4-3 win at the Nationals on Tuesday night in Game 1 of a two-game series. Uh, Nats reliever Hunter Harvey, a former Oriole, had some struggles uh, as the O's got a much-needed win and had more good stuff from their two young potential franchise cornerstones, catcher Adley Rutschman and infielder Gunnar Henderson. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Rob on the Commanders and on something having to do with me personally. Uh oh. <laughs> Writes Rob Hey, Al, just checking in to talk about how good it is to have real football back. You have done such a great job all offseason keeping football, Redskins, football team, commanders, and commanders front and center. Well, thank you, Rob. Continues, Rob. My boys and I have attended the opening game each year for the last five years or so for my oldest son's birthday, which is September 10th. I want to talk about the crowd. I'm certainly not an expert on this, but this was the best crowd since the NFC East championship game against the Cowboys. Talk radio, podcasts, everyone is talking about the crowd and how much different it was, and it was. It was a spirited crowd. What happened after the second pick that Carson threw was telling. It wasn't at all a boo-fest. I was upset. I was thinking Heineke, <laughs> but that didn't get going. I don't even remember a lot of boos. I think that the peeps who came out were seriously invested and knew you couldn't ditch Wentz this early. Al, this was different. What's your take? On a separate note, do you ride a motorcycle? Two or three weeks ago in Fredericksburg, where I live, I was in a left turn lane. And in the right turn lane was a motorcycle not paying much attention. I saw a personal tag that said Al Goldie. With an O instead of an A, it appeared. Not much time to sort it out. Was that you, Al? <laughs> well, thank you for the email, Rob. Much appreciated. Uh, no, sadly, that was not me. Uh, I do not ride a motorcycle, nor have I ever ridden a motorcycle. Uh, my father-in-law used to be a big motorcycle rider. He had a Harley Davidson, and he actually rode it from Pittsburgh all the way to the Washington, D.C. area. He's a Pittsburgh native, huge Steelers fan, was a longtime season ticket holder. And I'll never forget this. Before I met him for the first time, I remember thinking that he must be some massive biker dude, you know, because he has a Harley Davidson, he rides it long distances, and he must be a massive biker dude who wants to beat my ass for dating his daughter. Now, fortunately, <laughs> that was not the case. Uh, although he is tall, and he did play college basketball. He played at Lafayette, and he actually played against Bill Bradley uh, during Bill's time at Princeton back in the day. But anyway, uh, yes, the crowd at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Really good. Uh, it was so refreshing to see that. Now, let's be honest. Jags fans, uh, not exactly known for traveling. Uh, so I think a big test for whether things are truly better at FedEx Field in terms of crowds will be that week three home game against the Philadelphia Eagles. As we know, uh, Eagles fans have a history of taking over, of annexing FedEx Field. Uh, but yeah, major props to Commanders fans for their turnout and enthusiasm on Sunday afternoon. Uh, email from Stanley Evans on the Commanders. Right, Stanley. What's up, Goldie? When's the last time this team was 2-0? and Great chance to capitalize in Detroit. This offense has the capability of being tops in the league. I wonder what took Washington so long to realize the versatility of Gibby and the mismatch threat that he is on the field. When B-Rob comes back, this team is loaded with weapons. Maybe ever. Your thoughts? I love it. My man Stanley is pumped for his commanders. Uh, well, as I talked about on Tuesday's show, episode 398, what I think that we could say right now is that the offensive weapons on the 2022 Commanders may make for the best collection of offensive weapons on a Washington team since the last great Washington offense, that of the 2016 Redskins. We probably should hold off on comping anything about the 2022 Commanders to the Redskins glory days of the 1980s and early 1990s. But I hear you, Stanley. I hear you. And the last time that Washington was 2-0 and in a regular season was 2011. Yeah, 11 years ago. Uh, the Redskins began the 2011 regular season at 3-1, then lost to 10 of their final 12 games to finish 
Wait for it. Five and eleven. Okay, we wound up five and eleven. Not very good. Yes, thank you, Steve Spurrier. Five and eleven is not very good. What is very good, though, is the law firm of Paulson and Nice. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, just last month, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, you may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think, that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Thank you to all of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast. The ratings and the reviews help out a lot. You can rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Uh, Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you can write a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. The review can be just a sentence or two saying, that you like the podcast. Uh, well, there is the emotion that we experience off a commander's game. And then there is the true, objective, sobered up analysis of that game. And few people do the latter better than the man who joins me now. Commander's analyst, Mark Bullock. Uh, you can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL. You can read Mark's work on his Substack, Bullock's Film Room, uh, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. And Mark on his Substack has just published thorough breakdowns of both quarterback Carson Wentz and receiver Curtis Samuel in the regular season opening 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm doing really well, thanks. How are you? Doing well. Uh, it's nice to have you back on. You, in studying the film of Carson Wentz's performance against the Jags, found something particularly encouraging for the commander's offense moving forward. Uh, what was that something? Yeah, well, what we saw was Wentz didn't revert to his kind of hero ball play, um, which we he's kind of become known for. And by hero ball, I mean... Uh, you know, when he's under pressure, he starts scrambling around and, and tries to make heroic throws that sometimes lead to big explosive plays, but sometimes lead to, you know, those horrible looking interceptions where there's nobody there and three defenders. And um, it looks like, why the hell are you doing that? But, you know, um, that, that that's the hero ball stuff that he's been kind of known for the last few years, especially with the cops last year. And we didn't see that from him. On Sunday, we, we saw him play a lot more controlled. We saw him, you know, take the the underneath stuff, the the check downs to the running backs, and 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 that's a huge part of this offense. Is when you have the speed that they have at receiver with Samuel McLaurin and, and Dotson on the outside, um, the defense is naturally going to sink back deeper, and that's going to open up stuff underneath for those running backs. And, and we saw that with Antonio Gibson getting a lot of touches, and McKissick got a few, and um, being able to 
find those running backs is a key part of the offense because there's lots of space for them. Um, and, and, and Wentz traditionally can get a little bit too hearable when instead of checking down, he's trying to find the big play and he's admitted himself he's been guilty of that. So to see him not trying to force things down the field and just take the plays that are on offer um, was an encouraging sign, I thought. Well, I love the tweet that you put out of plays illustrating Carson Wentz not succumbing to hero ball. Uh, That said, head coach Ron Rivera in his day after the game press conference on Monday morning did admit that there were some deep shots that Carson did not take. And if you look at Carson's 313 passing yards in the game, the bulk of them were yak, uh, were yards after catch. Uh, Per sport radar, only 143 of Carson's 313 passing yards were completed air yards versus 170 of his 313 passing yards being yak. Uh, Did you, in watching the film, see deep shots that Carson should have taken, or did he, for the most part, throw to the right guys? Uh, I I think for the most part he did, but there certainly were a few shots. Um, One that, that I've seen doing the rounds on Twitter and stuff was um, the one where he missed Logan Thomas up the seam. Um, and if he had looked outside, there was uh, uh, Jahan Dotson was streaking down the sideline. But I, I think that was kind of one of those where the read for the quarterback is based on the safety look. And the safety suggested, the position of the safety suggested he should be looking inside at the seam rather than outside. Um, and it just so happened that Dotson had beaten his guy on the outside. So, um, and, and then there was another one. Um, where he he threw to Antonio Gibson on that kind of sail route, uh, and Gibson caught it on sideline for a nice big gain. Um, some people thought that he might have been able to hit Terry McLaurin over the top on a post route, but again, that's one where the read is based on the safety. There's a single deep safety, and that guy should be occupied by the post route, so that should open up the um, the route that Gibson was running. So uh, I think those are more coverage based reads where he's he's looking at the safety pre and post snap, and he's like, okay, well. I meant to go here in that specific situation. So, um, yes, uh, in theory, there were some shots that he could have taken, but um, nothing hugely glaring that I'm thinking this is a huge problem going forward. Which of Carson Wentz's four touchdown passes in the win over the Jags was his most impressive? Uh, I would say the McLaurin touchdown pass was the most impressive um, because, you know, he had just thrown the back-to-back interceptions, then... Uh, they got to third and eight, and he he stayed poised on third and eight and found Logan Thomas for the game that set them up for that touchdown pass. And then we saw him play really confidently. Um, there was a two deep safety look, and, and the Jags been playing a lot of cover two the entire time. So um, he knew that he just had to hold that safety on that side to McLaurin, and, and that's why we saw the pump fake, and and that made the safety bite inside, and then he went outside to to McLaurin and. I, th- I think the, that was the real difference between what we would have seen last year and this year. And, and the reason why they went for Wentz is because he held that safety, but he also had the arm to drive that ball and hit McLaurin in stride. And, and that is such a huge difference from last year. This time last year, McLaurin would have had to have either stopped and come back and competed <laughs> with the corner for the ball, or the safety would have hit him and blown him up. Whereas this time he's hit in stride and he's able to, run away for the touchdown. So that's the reason why they went for Wentz. And um, hopefully we'll see a lot more of that this year. There has been some debate regarding Carson Wentz's second fourth quarter interception as to whether that was more a bad throw by Carson or just a great play by the guy who made the pick, edge defender Trayvon Walker. Uh, What is the Mark Bullock autopsy of that second Carson Wentz interception? Yeah, I think it's kind of both. Uh, I think from if you're just looking at a neutral perspective, that's one hell of a play made by Trayvon Walker. Like you don't see a, a defensive end peel back inside and intercept a pass like that. That just doesn't happen. So that's an outstanding play by him. Um, the criticism I would have on Wentz for that is if you look at where Gibson is in relation to where the ball ends up. The, the throw from Wentz is still like two yards behind where Gibson was. So Gibson, when you see Walker diving out and catching the ball, you see Gibson has his kind of body turned in air and trying to reach back for it. So the placement of the throw was terrible. Um, so on, in that regard, I would still say it was a, a bad interception on Wentz, but um, certainly you don't expect that defensive end to pop out Um come inside and make that kind of play. So if Wentz had placed that ball better on Gibson, I don't know whether that would have changed it. Um, I think Walker still made one hell of a play. So um, 
I, I don't kill him so much for that one, but it, it, obviously the placement is an issue, so um, it, it wasn't a good interception. Carson Wentz's first fourth quarter interception, the pick to corner Tyson Campbell, was more egregious. Uh, what was the worst part about that interception? Yeah, I think he stuck on that read for too long. I think that's what Rivera said in, in his presser after the game as well. He, he seemed to stick on that read for a little bit too long, and, and he stared it down. Um, and the out route was kind of there to be thrown, but the the corner was playing off, and he was reading Wentz's eyes the whole time, and, and Wentz pretty much immediately locked onto that route and showed the corner exactly where he intended to go, and he didn't do anything to get the corner off of it. So um, if he'd held his eyes in the middle of the field and then shifted across and made that throw, he probably would have had a completion. But by staring it straight down, he led the corner to the ball and, and let him undercut it. So um, I think once he saw that corner playing off and he was looking that way, he, he, he needs to progress onto his next read. It has become cliche already uh, that the Carson Wentz roller coaster was on full display on Sunday afternoon. Uh, did the game in any way alter your outlook for Carson with the commanders, or is what we saw about what you expected? I think it's about what we expected, yeah. Um, I, I think we're certainly going to see more games like this. Um, we're going to see games where he's going to have those bad interceptions and those bad plays, but we're also going to see games where there's going to be more of those bombs to McLaurin and um, hopefully Jahan Dotson and, and, and we'll see the explosive plays to offset them. Um, so, yeah, I think it is going to be a lot of ups and downs this year. I think that's Commanders fans are going to have to um, pretty much strap in and, and be ready for that because I, I think that's what we're going to see. Um, as I said at the start, that there is some encouraging signs that he wasn't playing so much hero ball and he was willing to take the, the underneath stuff to the running backs. And, and I think with the weapons that he has in this offense, I think we saw kind of in that first quarter when they were really um, clicking nicely, he was spreading around to everyone and, and they were, everyone looked like a threat. Dotson looked like a threat. Samuel looked like a threat. McLaurin, obviously, and, and the backs and the tight ends. So there's a lot of weapons for him to go to. So if, if he can not play so much hero ball and, and he can kind of get into a decent rhythm with those weapons, then I, I think hopefully we'll see more good than bad. Much more with Commander's Analyst Mark Bullock coming up in moments. I'm going to next ask him about Curtis Samuel, who on Sunday afternoon looked so much better than he ever looked for Washington last season. And if your lawn is looking like Curtis Samuel's injury-ruined 2021 season, but you want your lawn to look as good as Curtis looked in the win over the Jags, then Weedman can help you. Uh, Weedman, it cares for your lawn so that you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you do not have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman Take care of your lawn and take advantage of a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. A fall tune-up at a great price and aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. Uh, that's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. Uh, Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Uh, Weedman's products are of the highest quality, uh, the best weed controls, state certified seed. Uh, Weedman's secret sauce is the fertilizer. All of Weedman's organic based fertilizer applications feature 65% super slow release nitrogen that feed your roots slowly and effectively. You see, Weedman has a mastery of the science behind a great lawn. And so put Weedman to work for you. A beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall. So take advantage of this special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. A fall tune-up at a great price. An aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. That's 571 571- 340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast. You can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. More now with Commander's Analyst Mark Bullock. Uh, you can read Mark's work on his Substack, Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. It was so nice <laughs> to see Curtis Samuel do as he did 
in the win over the Jags. Eight receptions for 55 yards and a touchdown. Odd 11 targets. Four carries for 17 yards. All of this in playing on 71% of the commander's offensive snaps. He did have a drop. He did have a lost fumble. But impossible not to be encouraged by what Curtis did this past Sunday afternoon, given what happened with him in the 2021 regular season, right? Playing in just five of Washington's 17 games due to groin and hamstring injuries. Uh, what did you make of Curtis's performance and of how offensive coordinator Scott Turner used Curtis? Yeah, I thought it was really encouraging. Um, we obviously didn't get to see him much last year, and, and, and a lot of people had kind of written him off. And I was getting tweets in preseason saying, let's just cut him and move on. But um, I, I think we saw this game exactly why they want to keep him. He's so flexible in, in how he can align in the backfield or at receiver and in the slot. Um, and, and the ability to, to cut so sharply and, and make people miss in the open field is a huge asset. Um, and the way Scott Turner used him was fantastic. And, and I think the package that we saw with with Samuel motioning into the backfield and, and working in the backfield with either McKissick or Gibson and then, you know, motioning them out of it and running from empty and stuff like that, that gains the quarterback so much information pre-snap. Um, and if if Turner can keep using that kind of a package to give Carson Wentz as much information pre-snap as possible, then hopefully that limits the kind of bad decisions and, and the mistakes that, that Wentz can, can make because he's going to know that, you know, if, if McKissick is outside and Samuel's in the backfield and it's a corner over McKissick, it's almost certainly his own coverage. And, or if a linebacker follows McKissick outside and there's a corner suddenly in the box, then it's, it's probably man coverage because he's got Samuel in the backfield and there's a corner in the box, which he wouldn't normally be. So, um, there's a lot of pre-snap indicators that they can get from that kind of package. And I think that's a really smart package that, that Turner's got. And, and I think we'll see a lot more of that going forward. Another all-purpose commander's weapon who had a good game on Sunday afternoon was running back Antonio Gibson. 14 carries for 58 yards, seven receptions for 72 yards on eight targets. He played on 64% of the commander's offensive snaps. What did you think about Gibson's performance and the way in which he was used? Yeah, I think quietly he um, he had a really solid performance. I, I think he, he was solid as a running back um, and, and we got to see him a little bit more involved in the passing game. Um, as I mentioned, the, those kind of checkdowns to the running back, Gibson was was catching a lot of those and, and some of those were designed underneath plays for Gibson um, and, and letting him do some work after the catch and, and that was good. Uh, and he obviously had that big catch down the sideline, you know, that really nicely schemed up sale concept but from the running back out of the backfield that you don't see too often and, and um, his flexibility if, if he can become a, a nice reliable option out of the backfield as a receiver that that just adds to what Scott Turner can another layer of complexity to what Scott Turner can do with it with the scheme and, and the, the running backs and, and Curtis Samuel all kind of bundled in together. Uh, receiver Jahan Dodson on Sunday afternoon in his NFL regular season debut, three receptions for 40 yards and two touchdowns on five targets in playing on 88% of the commander's offensive snaps. You did a breakdown of Dodson off his work in the preseason. Uh, can we say that the commanders did not overdraft Jahan Dodson, uh, that this guy, in fact, was worthy of a first round pick in the 2022 NFL draft? Uh, I was certainly impressed. Obviously, the touchdown, the second touchdown catch was absurd, and and to come up in such a clutch moment because that was third and eight as well, I think, and, and to come up with that catch and in the end zone to to put them ahead was was huge, and and everything about the the route was great. The out and up to set up the defender and um, to get a step, and then to track the ball as well as he did, and then obviously he. He did. It. He went so late with his hands to not tip the defender where the ball was, because uh, the defender had lost a step and was watching him instead of the ball. Um, so he went so late with his hand and grabbed it that the defender had no chance. So it was a phenomenal play by him. Um, I, I think there's still some things for him to work on. There was a couple of times where he kind of gets a little bit bumped at the line of scrimmage, and and obviously transitioning from college to the NFL, you're going to see a lot more press coverage and a lot more physical coverage, um, and, and so. Um, I think there was a there was a curl route where he was trying to run a curl route, and they tried to get Samuel in the flat behind him, and he got bumped, and that completely disrupted that play. and And that was one of the plays where Wentz did a nice job of moving to the running back and checking it down. Um, but you can't have that kind of thing where the receiver's getting bumped and and completely ruining a play. So 
Um, there's a, f- a few things for him to work on, but certainly the, the route running when he's got a free release is, is very good and the hands are exceptional. So, um, yeah, certainly a lot of promise. The commander's offensive line in the win over the Jags. Uh, left tackle Charles Leno Jr., right tackle Samuel Cosme, and center Chase Roulier each played on 100% of the commander's offensive snaps, but there was a lot going on at the guard spots. Uh, Trey Turner did not start at right guard. Wes Schweitzer did, but Schweitzer dealt with a left hamstring injury, and so Turner ended up playing a lot more than Schweitzer did. And then the starting left guard, Andrew Norwell, sat out for three offensive snaps. Uh, We ended up seeing Sadiq Charles play on 10% of the commander's offensive snaps. But bottom line, had the commander's offensive line do on Sunday afternoon? I think they were solid. Um, I, I think... Turner did a really nice job with his scheme in helping them out. There, there was quite a few RPOs called where um, sometimes they were passing plays, sometimes they were running plays, depending on what the defense gave them. Um, and so there was some encouraging things there um, in terms of schematically helping the offensive line out. And I, I think, in general, the starters looked good. Um, obviously, when they had those injuries and, and we saw um, Tri Turner come in and we saw City uh, Charles come in at one point and um, there was a bit of rotation, as you said. Uh, play kind of dropped off a little bit, but um, in general, it was still pretty solid. Um, and, and I think uh, Matsko and, and that offensive line group we saw last year is coached up so well and so deep that they can survive a few injuries. And, and they've got so such good depth that they're they're pretty comfortable rotating guys in when when they need to. And and um, still play to a relatively solid level. I don't think Wentz was under huge duress. There was a little bit of pressure at times on him, but I think he he showed good poise, staying in the pocket and trusting the protection. So um, as long as he's still playing confidently, um, you can allow a little bit of pressure. Um, it, it's when it gets overrun that things can go bad for him, and and it didn't that didn't happen despite the the injury. So um, yeah, I, I think they played pretty well. The commander's defense in the win over the Jags, to me, was mixed. Uh, There were positives. The third down defense, the pass rush, uh, the overall passing numbers for Jags quarterback Trevor Lawrence, but there clearly were negatives. Uh, The run defense, the penalties by the secondary, some breakdowns in coverage. Would you say that you're more encouraged or discouraged by the performance of the commander's defense? Yeah, I I think uh, (laughs) it's tough to say encouraged or decouraged. I I think when you put into context those obviously they did pretty well and Trevor Lawrence is a better quarterback than people realize at this point and obviously he had the hype and then not quite the amazing rookie season that everyone expected but there are still a lot of plays in there where he is getting the ball out ridiculously quickly and getting the ball out very accurately and it's very hard to defend some of those passes so um, I would caveat that with the defensive performance but there were obviously some plays where like the ETN drop on fourth fourth and goal that should have been a walk-in touchdown. And then, you know, if he walks that in for a touchdown, it's a different game completely. So, um, and and we're talking about how bad the defense is. So I I wouldn't say I'm encouraged by the entire defense. I'd say there were encouraging parts. Derek Forrest was really, really good. Um, And Montez Sweat was really good. Jonathan Allen, hopefully he's back healthy and then that injury isn't too serious, but he was very good as well. Um, And that, Defensive line looked really, really good rushing the passer. And, and the Jags had some weaknesses on the left side of their line. And, and it, it was good to see that Washington kind of targeted that side of the line and, and ran stunts at it. And the Jags just couldn't handle it. So um, uh, that was encouraging. Um, but I, I think there was some naivety at times where they were trying to play some man coverage where they, they shouldn't have. And um, sometimes they dropped into zone when it would have been better to play man and, and that kind of thing. So there was still some mistakes and still some things to correct. But um, I think there were some individual encouraging performances. Just out of curiosity, how do you identify a time in which the commanders were playing zone and should have been playing man or vice versa? Uh, so it's kind of a situational thing. Um, like if it's third and short and you're thinking a team's just trying to get two yards to pick up the first down, you don't want your defenders playing 15 yards off the ball dropping into cover four and, and your safeties are back and your corners are back. You want guys up in the box to help defend the run and, and, and swarm to the ball quickly on a short pass. So um, those are the kind of situations where you think maybe they shouldn't be that far off and maybe they, they should be closer to the line and, and being a little bit more physical. 
You mentioned safety Derek Forrest. Uh, he certainly played well in that win over the Jags. Uh, you did a breakdown of Forrest not long before week one. Presumably, the man for whom Forrest started, Cameron Curl, will be back soon off this right thumb injury that had him inactive on Sunday afternoon. How do you see Forrest being utilized once Curl comes back? Because it would seem that Forrest's play commands more playing time. Yeah, he was the real surprise for me. Um, and like last year, I when the commanders, basically everyone on the staff said he was a special teams guy and, and we'd see where he goes from there. I thought he's probably just going to be the, the Shazer Everett replacement where he's the kind of key special teamer and, and hardly plays on defense and they don't really trust him on defense. But he has come a long way since then and um, he's shown some real good coverage ability. Obviously, we saw the huge hit that he, he laid out on, I think it was ETN, um, that um, in the flat that was uh, textbook, how you'd want it done. So, um, yeah, I, I thought he played really well, um, and I think they've got something there. Um, as to how they use him, I think it's going to be sort of that, that Buffalo nickel package that we've seen talked about with this team for the last year um, with – Probably Cam Curl goes into the Buffalo nickel and Forrest plays strong safety. Uh, and I still don't trust Forrest in pure man-to-man coverage situations. So you'd want Cam Curl lined up over the tight end or the slot receiver. So um, that would put Curl in that Buffalo nickel spot. And then Forrest can play the strong safety where he can still play in the box if they want to play a single high or they can play him deep. And, and he showed some nice ability in quarters coverage. He had that breakup in the end zone late, late on um, where that was a quarters coverage look with the receiver coming from the opposite side of the field. And, and that can be kind of a tough read for safety sometimes because they're focused on the receiver on their side. They see he's covered, then they have to look over to the other side and identify threats from that side. And he did a really good job identifying that thread and, and then picking it up and, and turning and running with it. So, um, yeah, there were some very encouraging signs. Um, and, and I think, um, yeah, it would be that kind of Buffalo nickel package with, with him at strong safety and, and Carl in the nickel. Do you know how and why it was that linebacker Jamin Davis got left covering receiver Christian Kirk multiple times on Sunday afternoon? I mean, even Ron Rivera has since admitted that that was not ideal, and the results clearly were not great from a commander's perspective. Uh, I I haven't gotten to that part in the film yet. Uh, I I, I certainly plan to, and I'll tweet that out in the next few days, but um, my guess would be that it it's a, it's a case where they're playing zone coverage um, and the route combinations from the offense kind of isolate Jamie Davis in his zone on Christian Kirk in the slot. And that made it look a lot worse than it was intended to be. Um, and, and that can happen from time to time. If you're playing zone coverage and, and you have a linebacker that has to walk out over the slot, it does happen. Um, and it's obviously not an ideal matchup for the defense, um, and, and the Jags kind of exploits that at times. So that would be my guess as to why that happened. One more for you. You did a breakdown of quarterback Sam Howell off his work in the preseason. Uh, now, Carson Wentz clearly is the commander's starting quarterback, uh, but I thought that Howell played well in the preseason. And I've had multiple guests on this podcast say that they believe that Howell eventually can be a starting NFL quarterback. What do you think that the commanders have in Howell? I certainly think there's a lot of promise there. He, he impressed me more than I thought he would in the preseason. He, he certainly had a really good grasp over the, the concepts that Turner likes to use. And, and I've kind of spent all off seasons explaining how Turner likes how he runs his offense, which is pick a handful of concepts that the quarterback likes and run them in as many different variations with formations and motions and shifts and personnel groups as possible to, to keep the defense from knowing what's coming and, and how ran those different concepts really well. Um, so that was impressive. Um, I, I think there is still a ways to go with him. There, there's some mechanical things that he needs to clean up. And a thing I noticed consistently in preseason was his drops didn't always match up with the routes he was reading. Um, and so I, I, I think most people probably would have noticed that there was times where he was taking two or three hitches up in the pocket and then delivering a throw. And it's very rare that a play is called for a quarterback to take a, a five or seven step drop and then two or three hitches up in the pocket. Um, so that tells you that his feet aren't quite matched up with what he's reading. Um, so there, there's things like that. There are small details that will need to be cleaned up and, and that will come with you know experience and then 
and and learning on in training and training camp and practices and stuff. So um, I think long term, there's certainly something there. I, I don't necessarily know that this time next year we're going to be calling Sam Howell the starting quarterback. Um, I think that's that's still maybe a year or two away, but um, I, I think there's certainly a lot of potential there. And and you know you saw the raw talent there. The the arm strength is fantastic to drive the ball wherever he wants to drive it um and the encouraging things was that he was still mostly making the right reads on those concepts that turner really likes so um i I think there is potential for him to be their quarterback in the future but i don't think it's going to be week one next year he's the guy and then they've cut wentz and moved on All right. So no Commander's quarterback controversy, at least for now. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Everybody calm down. Uh, Commander's analyst Mark Bullock. You can follow Mark on Twitter at MarkBullockNFL. You can read Mark's work on his Substack, Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at MarkBullock.Substack.com. Mark, thanks a lot for your time and all the best to you. Of course. Anytime. All right. Up next, I'm talking Nationals and Orioles. Game one of a two-game series for the O's at the Nats was on Tuesday night. The result was a 4-3 Orioles win, thanks in part to a former Oriole. I'll explain after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, the Nationals and the Orioles, uh, the two major league baseball teams of the Mid-Atlantic region, uh, two teams with ownership groups that despise each other. Uh, The Learners, who own the Nats, at least for now, despise the Angeloses, who own the O's, at least for now. And (laughs) of course, with the Angeloses, they despise each other uh, because one Angelos brother, Louis Angelos, he on June 9th filed a lawsuit against his brother, John Angelos, and their mother, Georgia Angelos for control of the O's. Uh, The Nats this season are the worst team in the majors. The O's this season finally are coming out of their rebuild. And the two teams on Tuesday night at Nationals Park played game one of a two-game series. Uh, The O's won 4-3. And so it was the O's, Joe Angel, who were in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, thank you. The win column. Uh, the Nats fell to a major league worst of 49 and 93. The O's improved to 74 and 67. They are five games behind the Tampa Bay Rays for the American League's third wildcard spot. Uh, the Nats on Tuesday night blew a 3 1 third inning lead thanks to a former Oriole, uh, former O's reliever Hunter Harvey. He on Tuesday night allowed two runs in one and a third innings. Uh, he and the Orioles two run fifth 
allowed two runs, recorded just one out. Uh, Harvey gave up a leadoff homer to his good buddy Ryan Mountcastle, gave up a full count double to Gunnar Henderson, gave up a single to Ramon Arias on a 1-2 pitch, issued a wild pitch, and then gave up a one-out RBI double to Austin Hayes for a 4-3 Orioles lead. Uh, Hunter Harvey, the O's took Harvey with the number 22 overall pick in the 2013 MLB draft. Uh, Harvey's eight-plus years with the O's were marked by one injury after another. I mean, Hunter Harvey, in a lot of ways, is like the poster boy for injury plagued. I mean, I don't know many players ever who have been plagued by injury to the extent that Hunter Harvey has been plagued by injury, but he's a talented guy, and so he is still around, and he actually, for the Nats this season, has done a good job. Uh, The Oses past November 5th lost Harvey to a waiver claim by the San Francisco Giants, and then the Nats on March 21st announced that they had claimed Harvey off waivers from the Giants. Uh, Harvey, after the game on Tuesday night, admitted that he was super amped up for his outing against the O's, and obviously things did not go well. Interesting, by the way, to see Hunter Harvey work multiple innings this late in the season, given his injury history, but Nats manager David Martinez during his postgame press conference said, hey, Hunter Harvey has been doing well. Uh, you know, medically speaking, is doing fine, at least as far as we can tell. And so, yeah, Hunter Harvey was allowed to pitch for more than an inning on Tuesday night. He just did not have uh, the results that uh, you would have wanted from a Nats perspective. Uh, Otherwise, though, the Nats bullpen on Tuesday night was really good. Even if you include what Hunter Harvey did, six Nats relievers on Tuesday night combined to allow two runs in six innings with six strikeouts. Uh, The Nats had an off day on Monday, are scheduled to have another off day on Thursday. So Davey Martinez was not shy about using his relievers. Uh, Andres Machado in the bottom of the fifth face, two batters got two outs despite entering the game with runners on second and third, just one out and the Nats trailing 4-3. Jordan Weems tossed a scoreless top of the sixth. Steve Ciszek tossed a scoreless top of the seventh with two strikeouts and a hit by pitch. Mason Thompson tossed a perfect top of the eighth. Carl Edwards Jr., Toss the scoreless top of the ninth. Uh, the Nats on Tuesday night used six relievers because the team's starting pitcher only lasted for three innings. Uh, Corey Abbott, two runs in three innings. He gave up five hits, a double, and four singles. He issued three walks and a hit by pitch. He recorded three strikeouts. He over his three innings threw 72 pitches, 41 strikes versus 31 balls. Uh, Abbott, like Hunter Harvey, a waiver claim for the Nats. The Nats on May 4th claimed Abbott off waivers from the Giants. He has been used by the Nats at the major league level as both a starter and a reliever. He, as a starter, actually has done fairly well. Didn't do so well on Tuesday night, but his previous start came on September 7th, the 6-5 walk-off loss at the National League Central leading St. Louis Cardinals. Abbott in that game, one run in four into third innings, five strikeouts versus no walks. His previous start, a 3-2 loss to the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park on August 17th. Abbott in that game, two runs in six innings, five strikeouts versus one walk. Uh, Corey Abbott in the 2022 regular season, over 13 major league games, including six starts for the Nats, has an ERA of 437. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday night totaled just three runs, uh, eight hits, just two walks, went one for 11 with runners in scoring position. The Nats did hit four doubles, but just not enough offense for the Nats. Uh, We did have Luis Garcia as the Nats' number four batter, as uh, Davey Martinez mercifully (laughs) did not have Nelson Cruz as the cleanup batter. It has taken like an act of God for Davey not to have Nelson Cruz as the Nats' cleanup batter this season, despite him having a woeful season, and despite this being his age 41 season, and maybe being his final major league season. Uh, Now, Cruz on Tuesday night was the Nats' number five batter, so it's not like, you know, he got demoted to the nine spot, uh, but at least he wasn't in that number four spot. Luis Garcia was in that spot, and he on Tuesday night as an at starting second baseman and cleanup batter went one for four with an RBI double and an RBI force out and committed a throwing error. Uh, Garcia in the Nats, one run first, a two-out opposite field, RBI bloop double to left field to tie the game at one. Garcia in the Nats, two-run third grounded into a one-out RBI force out for a 3-1 Nats lead. And Garcia in the top of the seventh committed a throwing error as he in throwing from second base to first baseman Luke Voigt for a potential double play made a one-hop throw that got by Voigt. Uh, So let's talk about this for a moment. Luke Voigt, uh, he continues to be a defensive liability at first base. He doesn't catch way too many throws that, yes, aren't perfect, 
but also, yes, are catchable. And this has been part of the domino effect of Davy Martinez insisting on having the struggling Nelson Cruz as the Nats' regular DH. Luke Voigt should be the regular DH. He's not a good defensive first baseman. I want to see Joey Manessis at first base. I want to see Joey Manessis evaluated over these remaining weeks of the Nats' 2022 regular season. See how he does at first base. See if, in fact, he can be, should be, the Nats' regular first baseman for the 2023 season. Instead, though, we're wasting our time with Nelson Cruz in the DH spot and Luke Voigt at first base. With Nelson Cruz clogging up that DH spot, Luke Voigt has to play first base in order for his bad to be in the Nats lineup. And Voigt's defense at first is hurting the Nats. You know, the Nats on Tuesday night had two throwing errors. Each one came on a throw that Luke Voigt could have caught but didn't. Uh, Ildemaro Vargas on Tuesday night was an at-starting third baseman. He was charged with a throwing error in the Orioles' one-run fourth as Vargas, on a slow roller off the bat of Jorge Mateo for an infield single, made an impressive play, made an impressive charging and barehanded scoop of the ball, but Vargas's throw to first base uh, got by Voigt. Uh, what was a lunging and falling over Luke Voigt. You know, that's the thing with Voigt. If you're watching these Nats games, and by the way, God bless you if you're watching these Nats games, but Luke Voigt is not exactly super graceful, shall we say, at first base. You know, Luke Voigt is a big, burly slugger. Defense ain't his thing. Okay, fine. You know, he shouldn't be the Nats' regular first baseman, and yet he is because of Nelson Cruz being the Nats' regular DH. Uh, oh, by the way, Ildemaro Vargas on Tuesday night, another impressive offensive game. He is the Nats' number nine batter, two for three, with two singles, a walk, and a stolen base. Vargas in the Nats' two-run third, a leadoff single to center field. Vargas in the bottom of the fourth, a two-out single through the right side of the infield on a one-two pitch. Vargas in the bottom of the ninth, a leadoff eight-pitch walk off O's closer Felix Batista and Vargas had a stolen base. I mentioned Joey Manessis. He on Tuesday night had another two-hit game. He is an at starting right fielder and number two batter, two for five with a double and a single. Now, he did leave five men on base, but Manessis in the Nats one run first, a one out opposite field single to right field. And Manessis in the bottom of the fifth, a leadoff opposite field double to the right center field gap. Uh, C.J. Abrams on Tuesday night was an at starting shortstop at number seven batter. One for four with a double. Uh, Abrams in the bottom of the six, a leadoff opposite field double to the left center field gap. He is looking better as a batter. This has been encouraging, but also for Abrams on Tuesday night was a big base running boo-boo. In fact, on the very next pitch after his double, he got thrown out at third base on a grounder off the bat of the Nats starting catcher on Tuesday night, Israel Pineda, to shortstop Jorge Mateo. Uh, that was bad. I mean, you're on second base, the ball is hit to the shortstop, and yet you get thrown out and trying to advance from second to third. Here was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night on the C.J. Abrams base running blunder. Yeah, he's got he's got to understand right there. You know, like I said, you know, just just being overly aggressive. You know, young and you know wanted to get to third base. He knew he had to get to third base. Um, you know, but that situation, you got to see the you got to see the ball through. You got to get back to second and see what happens. So, um, you know, like I said, it's just a, a young mistake. You know, we'll talk to him about it. You know, he he knew he knew right away. He should have went back. Um, but we'll, we'll just talk to him about it. But like I said, you know, when, when these one run games like that, you go out there and you're young. You're trying to do the you know, do the spectacular, right? I mean, that's, you know, just play the game, right? We, what we say, play the game. Yeah, uh, Lane Thomas on Tuesday night had a double as well. He is an at starting center fielder and number one batter, one for five with his double. Uh, Thomas in the Nats, two run third and opposite field hustle double to right field despite having been down to the count of 1.12. Boy, we continue to not see Victor Robles at all. Uh, Robles has not played in each of the Nats' last five games now. Uh, as for Tuesday night's game from an Orioles perspective, uh, well, the O's needed this win of having lost six of their previous eight games. Uh, the O's totaled four runs, 11 hits, and four walks, went three of 15 with runners in scoring position. Good games for Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, and Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, Adley Rutschman on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter. Two for four with a double, a single, and a walk. Rutschman in the Orioles, one run first, a one-out single to left center field. Rutschman in the top of the second drew a two-out four-pitch walk. And Rutschman in the top of the fourth, a two-out opposite field double to left field on an 0-2 pitch 
from Hunter Harvey. Uh, Rutschman now, since being called up from AAA Norfolk on May 21st, an OPS of 807. Uh, Gunnar Henderson on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting third baseman at number five batter, two for five with a double and an RBI single. He did strike out twice, but Henderson in the Orioles one run first, a two out RBI single up the middle for a one nothing Orioles lead. Henderson in the Orioles two run fifth, a full count opposite field double to left field of Hunter Harvey. Uh, Gunnar Henderson since being called up from AAA Norfolk on August 31st, an OPS of 817. There has been like no transition for this guy. He was brought up from AAA Norfolk and he from the get-go has hit. He from the get-go has been good defensively and he has played a bunch of different positions, third base, shortstop, second base. Uh, Gunnar Anderson has been so impressive. Uh, And then Ryan Mountcastle on Tuesday night. Uh, He is the Orioles starting first baseman at number four batter, two for three with a solo homer, a single, and two walks. Uh, Mountcastle got on base four times. Uh, Mountcastle in the Orioles one run first, a two out eight pitch walk. Mountcastle in the Orioles two run fifth, a leadoff opposite field home run to right center field off Hunter Harvey to tie the game at three. Mountcastle in the top of the sixth, a two out full count opposite field single to right center field. And Mountcastle in the top of the ninth drew a leadoff five pitch walk. And how about this from O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night on Ryan Mountcastle? Ryan took, for me, that was the best at bats he's taken in months. Uh, the walks, the, the ability to, to lay off some breaking balls down, tough pitches, go deep in the count, uh, and then turn around 100 to right center. That's I me. Mean, for me, I, he just has so much power that way. Um, when he's really geared in to, to stay on the ball, got another hit over there. Um, it's just he's got so much ability, and, and uh, you know he showed you tonight what he's, what he's capable of. Yes, he did. Ryan Mountcastle has had a very uneven season. Like, when you talk about why the O's have had some struggles lately, the struggles of Ryan Mountcastle are a part of that. Uh, His OPS for the 2022 regular season is only 733, but he is second on the O's with 22 home runs. Uh, The Orioles starting pitcher on Tuesday night was Dean Kramer. Uh, He was okay. He has been better, uh, but Kramer was okay on Tuesday night. He allowed three runs in five innings. I mean, you certainly would like to see him last for longer. Uh, he gave up eight hits, four doubles, and four singles. He issued a walk, and he only had one strikeout. So, you know, you really can't sit here and say that he pitched well. But, you know, he at least kept you in the game. Uh, he over his five innings threw 82 pitches. That's a high pitch count. He did, though, throw a lot of strikes, 57 strikes versus just 25 balls. Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night on Dean Kramer. Yeah, I thought Dean did a good job. Um, you know, it, it, he left a few, you know, a few balls kind of out over the plate and that that, that got hit. But uh, I thought he was really competitive. His fastballs up to ninety-seven. Um, you know, got it, went into the sixth inning in in a game in a tight game. So um, I thought he did a really nice job. Yeah, Dean Kramer now in the 2022 regular season at the major league level, eighteen games, including seventeen starts in ERA of 334. The Orioles bullpen on Tuesday night was excellent, and it was the Orioles A bullpen that was on display. Dylan Tate, CNL Perez, and Felix Batista. Uh, these guys have been so good for the O's this season. These guys were so good on Tuesday night. Uh, Tate won in a third scoreless innings, so his ERA for the 2022 regular season down to 259. Perez, one and two-thirds of perfect innings. His ERA for the 2022 regular season down to 141. And Batista, scoreless bottom of the ninth with two strikeouts. His ERA for the 2022 regular season down to 160. Game two for the O's at the Nats, Wednesday night at 7.05. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 400. Yes, 400. 
will include a lot on the Commanders as they on Wednesday are beginning their practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game at the Detroit Lions at 1. We expect to have post-practice press conferences from head coach Ron Rivera and quarterback Carson Wentz on Wednesday. We on Wednesday will be getting the first injury report for the game, so We'll have a lot to talk about. The Commanders, by the way, have added another interior defensive lineman to the team. Uh, they, on Tuesday afternoon, announced the signing of Benning Potoai to the practice squad. Uh, this off the Commanders on Monday, having signed interior defensive lineman Donovan Jeter to the 53-man roster. Uh, that as the corresponding roster move to placing interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis on the reserve injured list due to his left knee injury. Also on Thursday's show, we'll discuss Game 2 of Round 2 of the 2022 Battle of the Beltways. Orioles at the Nationals Wednesday night at 7.05 in Game 2 of a two-game series. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. Okay, we wound up 5-11. and 11. Not very good.